In fact, we have uh, quite a number of programs, which uh, makes us quite unique. And we're the first university in the UK uh, to have all of the social marketing programs. Um, and uh, we're quite happy to have a um, kind of like a lineup of programs uh, leading from a, from a CPD program uh, to a PG or postgraduate certificate uh, to a postgraduate diploma in health and social marketing, as well as way up to um, the MA in health and social marketing, which we have. Uh, all this is then kind of underpinned by quite a lot of research activity uh, that we do, as well as sort of like networking activity, so kind of really bridging the gap between uh, the profession uh, as well as the, um, the academic world, and kind of really bringing in a lot of people who are, um, who are kind of like from the outside and kind of networking our students together with the people that are attending uh, our social marketing evenings. Um, now, at the moment... What we're doing is quite a lot of, of research. We're kind of doing a lot of outreach work um, uh, well, in, in terms of the influence of social marketing that it has on the society. Um, so current projects that we're working on is, uh, for example, we're looking a lot at uh, nutrition and obesity and kind of preventing uh, obesity. Um, we're looking at uh, alcohol reduction and kind of substance abuse and kind of how to uh, handle those situations. We have a very strong research area in HIV and sexual health, um, as well as in cross-cultural and hard-to-reach uh, groups, um, so particularly kind of social marketing towards ethnic minorities, for example, as well as, um, and this is again quite unique in the UK, uh, the use of social media uh, as a tool within the social marketing arena. Um, and we're, we're kind of like evolving those areas quite largely in kind of like, you know, again, as I said before, it's really, uh, for us, it's really important to bring the academic world together uh, with the practical world. So things that we are doing, for example, we're kind of like very active in influencing public policy in those areas. Uh, we're kind of very active uh, in having knowledge transfer partnerships uh, with uh, outside institutions who are kind of employing graduates um, in that particular area in kind of uh, roles of consultancy, for example, uh, for other um, institutions, for other organizations, um, as well as, of course, uh, having publications uh, in the area, which, of course, you know, that's the sort of the, the academic um, area that we come from. If we're looking at social marketing itself, uh, as a discipline, it's um, probably sort of emerged around the, the, the sort of like late 1960s, early 1970s, um, and it was originally sort of the idea we sort of like to have birth control in India, um, and it sort of emerged from there, as sort of like you know, that you could kind of move uh, commercial marketing principles and apply them to an area where you know, you're not really selling things, but in fact you're, you're modifying, you're changing behavior, um, and you're really working on societal benefit rather than uh, commercial profit. And this has sort of come to quite a lot of popularity, particularly in the last uh, few years, when what's, what some people would say, they've really moved, marketeers themselves have moved move from kind of being snake oil salesmen to almost trusted policy advisors, for example, in kind of areas like health marketing and kind of really changing uh, frontline behavior. And in the UK, we've seen this very big uh, in terms of a white paper being published um, by the Department of Health in 2004 uh, called Choosing Health, which actually said that you know, the, the previous health promotion models simply haven't worked and uh, that you know, kind of previous and future uh, 
house promotion should really be based much more uh, on social marketing principles. Now, the question that arose from, from that particular paper was sort of like, how big is this problem, this sort of, you know, kind of how, what area are we talking about, this entire thing of preventable illness, for example. Um, and it's actually quite astonishing figure. So if you're taking the U.S., um, there are st studies published that say around one million people die from preventable illnesses in the U.S. If we're taking the U.K., uh, then uh, the, the actual figure... Uh, is about 20% of GDP. Now, that seems quite an abstract figure, but if you kind of take this in, in quite concrete terms, then it is about £187 billion per year being lost because of preventable uh, illness. Now, that, in proportion, for example, to the bank bailout that costs the current credit crunch, is about four times as much as a bank uh, bailout. So even a small change in that huge amount of uh, preventive illness would cause uh, quite a significant saving for the public and therefore, you know, kind of quite a significant um, kind of saving in, in, in the deficit that we currently have. Now, part of the problem, of course, for policymakers is always to kind of like, how do you respond to this sort of humongous um, deficit that you're facing? Now, the, the options are quite limited. They're, they're essentially kind of like sort of two options which have traditionally been used. Either it was legislation, uh, legislation uh, so, or education. Now, the question with both of them is kind of how effective uh, are either one of them. Um, if you're kind of, you know, telling people uh, not to drink and drive, now we've done this for a long period of time and it hasn't really worked. Um, at the same time, education has been kind of used for a long and extended period of time. And again, it's, a lot of time is very ineffective. So, for example, most of us do know that it isn't very good to smoke, yet most of the people still continue to smoke. Most of the people do not eat um, five portions of fruit and vegetables a day. Most people do not exercise three times a week, um, those kind of things. Uh, so from that point onwards, it sort of became much more to a kind of like, well, maybe... If neither of those options work, what, what else can work? And it became much more kind of like maybe the solution is persuasion and kind of like trying to get people um, to actually uh, you know, understand why they should be doing it and kind of like using the entire uh, body of knowledge that's out there for marketing and persuading people to buy things and use, making use of those theories and those kind of techniques uh, in order to get people to... Um, to understand why they should be adopting a particular behavior, why they shouldn't be drinking and driving, why they should be stopping smoking, or why they, uh, why they should be saving energy, for example. Uh, and as you know, we all know, there, there's quite a big uh, body of research out there that says that the, the power of marketing to persuade people to adopt certain behaviors is really very strong. And so it's really about social marketing really is about harnessing that sort of understanding of you know kind of how can you change the behavior that people are kind of doing better things better, you know bettering their own life bettering their own societies that they are living in um, and you know there is also over the over the couple of years that sort of like social marketing has been in the public arena there has been quite a lot of evidence being built up that it is very effective in a number of areas so for example in anti-smoking it has been used has been used uh, for safer sex uh, and of course for for diet and nutrition advice so again in those kind of areas it has shown tremendous impact and much much better um, than than some of the other kind of things
uh, that, that have been out there before and has really kind of shown that it can change the behavior of individuals and kind of make them much, much more happier and, and healthier people, I guess.